Um, good morning, church. Um, my name is Lunga, and I'm part of the teens here, and I'll be doing today's Bible reading. As said, um, our passage for today is Psalm 75. We give thanks to you, O God, we give thanks, for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth tortures and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. I say to the boastful, do not boast, and to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on a high or speak with hearty neck. For not from the far east or from the west and not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foam with foaming wine, well mixed, and he pours out from it. And all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the Jakes. But I shall declare it forever. I will sing praises to God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous I shall lift up. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks for the Bible reading, Lunga. I didn't introduce myself. My name is Black, and I'm one of the ministers here at Christ Church Midrand. Um, and it's, it's an honor and a privilege for me to be opening up God's word um, for us this, this morning. So Psalm 75 is preceded by two other Psalms, uh, Psalm 73 and Psalm 74. Uh, and those Psalms are really relevant for us uh, this morning because what those two Psalms do is that they, they ask very uh, deep questions. On the surface, they might seem uh, very shallow, but uh, when we dig into what those questions are, um, they're really, really deep questions. And, and Psalm 75 then lands itself as an answer uh, to the questions that are posed in Psalm 73 and Psalm 74. What are these questions? Well, Psalm 73, uh, the Israelites are asking God, well, God, if we are uh, pure in heart, we are your people. We are the ones who have walked with you. We follow your ways. Uh, we follow your statutes. Uh, why does it seem like our lives are not moving? Why does it seem like our lives are stagnant, um, our lives are not progressing at all? Uh, while we look around, we see people who are God-haters, uh, actively, uh, outrightly hating you and rebelling against you, and yet their lives seem to be prospering. Uh, why is that, God? Um, and then when we jump to Psalm 74, uh, they appeal to God's actions. They say to God, God, we know that you've acted before. We've seen you intervene in our lives. We've seen how you judge the wicked. We've seen how you've lifted people up. But why does it seem like you're not acting now when we're calling you? Our situation is dire. We are hard-pressed. Things are rough for us. And yet we're calling out to you, but you just seem not to be answering us. Why is that? And so again, Psalm 75 lands itself as an answer to those questions. Church, there's something grateful about the Psalms. Um, as we uh, ponder on what the Psalms are and what they do for us, uh, they actually help communicate some of our deepest fears, some of our deepest insecurities. When we're hard-pressed, life is not making sense. We feel confused. We feel lost. We feel like uh, we don't know where to go. Uh, the Psalms help give us language so that we can pray to God. Uh, but they also help give us language so that we can be able to communicate uh, what our deepest struggles and insecurities are to our families, to our loved ones. And I think with that in mind, uh, it's probably safe to say that as, as we sit here, a room full of, of so many people, uh, if not all of us, I think a majority of us are struggling. 
Majority of us are sitting here this morning with shattered dreams. We hoped that life would have turned out to be a certain way. We had visions, we had dreams, we had plans. Uh, we had things in place for the life that we wanted to uh, live out, the dreams that we wanted to achieve. Uh, but we sit here this morning with crushed dreams, and those, li- those dreams are not actualized. Some of us uh, are sitting here this morning, as we heard uh, from Vicky earlier on, just with, with relational breakdown, with the burden of uh, relational disappointments. Uh, marriage is probably at the brink of divorce. Uh, you're not good with the friends that you were once good with. Your relationship with your parents or your children or anyone else that's significant in your life is just on shaky ground. And you're sitting here this morning carrying that burden of relational breakdown. Some of us can't even think about tomorrow. Our careers have failed. Our businesses did not turn out the way we anticipated them to turn out. And we're just sitting here, just longing for hope, crying for any sign of hope. Maybe I'm the only one. Amen. Amen. And I think that's what the psalm uh, is great for. And so we sit here like the Israelites wondering to ourselves, God, here we are. We've been coming to church, been faithful. Read your word. I'm part of a life group. Actually, but my life is not going the way I anticipated it to go. Life is tough. My marriage is struggling. And yet when I look around everywhere, everyone else seems to be prospering. When I turn on the, the TV, when I look at the newspaper, when I go on social media, everyone is couple goals except me. Everyone seems to be killing it. Somebody has the latest whatever. Somebody has moved into a better house. Somebody is doing this in their business. They're getting all the amazing contracts. And yet those people, God, are outright, actively, publicly haters of who you are. They want nothing to do with you. Why is my life like this? And Because, again, we're very polite South Africans. Most of us would not verbalize that. But we see it in our actions. We see it in our decisions. Some of us have even uttered those words in the depth of our souls. What's the point of being Christian? My life is no different. Why should I even continue believing this God? Again, church, Psalm 75 squarely lands itself as an answer to those questions. God steps into the picture. They called him in Psalm 73 and Psalm 74. Psalm 75, he steps in and God answers for himself. And that's what we'll see. And here's the thing that we need to take away from Psalm 75. If anything else I say this morning, you forget. Remember this. God can be trusted. God can be trusted because the power to lift up and the power to put down are in God and God alone. I'll say that again. God can be trusted because the power to lift up and the power to put down are in God and God alone. In other words, there's nowhere else in the universe but in God and God alone. Will those of us who are weak in faith, who are feeling burdened right now, who feel like we don't have any hope or any encouragement, it's only in God that we'll find our lifting up. It's only in God we'll find our encouragement. It's only in God and nowhere else in the universe that we will find our promotion. It's only in God that we'll find direction. If your life feels like it's nowhere, it's only in God that you will find revival. Nowhere else. 
And equally so, what Psalm 75 screams at us is that if you've set up your own kingdom, you're boxing with God. You think God is not doing a great job, therefore you want to take over his throne and his job and you want to be God in your life. Psalm 75 says there's nowhere else in the universe but in God and God alone where there's true justice for people like that. Where there's true putting down, true humbling. And so as we walk out of this building this morning, Psalm 75 wants to do two things for us. Wants to reassure us, some of us with weak knees. Wants to strengthen those so that we can at least start walking and one day be able to run again for God. Amen. And for some of us, Psalm 75 gives us a stern warning. Drop your weapons. Surrender to God. Trust him. And give your life to him. Let me pray for us. And ask God to help us as we look at the psalm this morning. Father, we are grateful that you haven't left us to our own devices, Lord. That you have given us your word. Thank you, Father, that your word is sufficient for our lives and where we are. And I pray, Father, that you would speak mightily. As we sang now that you are a God who, who saves I pray, Father, that those who are shaking their fists in your face, uh, today they would be saved. Encourage your people. Encourage your children, Lord. Pray for all of these things in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Three questions that will help us unpack Psalm 75 this morning. Uh, If you're taking notes, uh, here here is where we're going. Uh, First question, uh, what kind of God is this? Uh, verses 2 to verse 5. Second question, what kind of judgment is this? Verses 6 to verse 8. And lastly, what kind of king is this? Verses 9 and 10. Those three questions will help unpack the psalm for us. What kind of God is this? What kind of judgment is this? What kind of king is this? Read with me verses 2 uh, till 5 of Psalm 75. At the set time, this is God speaking, that I appoint, I will judge with equity when the earth totters and all its inhabitants. It is I who keep steady its pillars. I say to the boastful, do not boast. And I say to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Verses 5, do not lift up your horn on high or speak with haughty neck. So again, as I said earlier on in Psalm 74, Verses 22, the Israelites say to God, why don't you arise? Why don't you defend yourself against your enemies? Essentially what they're asking God to do there is for God to speak. Fast forward to Psalm 75, verses 2, God then steps into the picture and God speaks. So as we ask the question, what kind of God is this? Well, verses 2 tells us this is a God who speaks. He's not a God who's distant. He's not a God who's, who has a blind eye towards his people. But he hears the cries of his people and this God steps in. But here's where the mirror cracks for most of us. We want God to step in at our time. Some of us can sit here and we recall a time where we desperately needed God to move. A season, a moment, a month, right? or a day where we just said, God, we want you to move right now. But what this psalm tells us and reassures us, 
that God will move at his appointed time. God is not going to move any earlier or any later, but he will move at his own time. And here's the reassuring thing for us, church. That is the perfect time. God's timing is good timing for us. Our God is not like Mr. D or Uber Eats or Cheka 60. That never comes in 60 minutes. <laughs> He's always on time. And therefore, he can be trusted because he is the author of time. And that's what the psalm is screaming at us and calling us to trust God because his timing is perfect for us. In fact, in verses 3, God describes a situation where people are chaotic. Everyone is scattering, trying to define a life for themselves. Everybody is trying to, 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 to turn their backs away from God. One, because they don't trust that he can do what he says he will do. Others just don't believe he is who he says he is. And so the whole earth is tottering, there's shaking. Everyone is trying to figure out how to do life on their own. And God says to the Israelites, as he says to us this morning, he holds the pillars of the world. He keeps everything steady. He keeps everything in control. He is in charge. And so we should turn our eyes away from the chaos. Turn your eyes away from the chaos and turn to him. Because he reassures you that he has everything under control. He keeps everything steady. Lift your eyes away from the chaos and rest on him. We've been hearing a whole lot of reports about a global recession that's coming. Christians, don't panic. Rest the country's economy on him. Rest our government on him. Some of us are at the brink of divorce. Our marriages are crumbling. We look out on Instagram and we are always complaining about other people being couple goals. Turn your eyes away from the chaos. Rest your marriage on God. Hey, my kids are crazy. They don't listen. Turn your eyes away from the craziness. Rest them on God. Amen. That's where we'll find stability. God is our stabilizing force. He's our anchor. He's our firm foundation. The more we look at the chaos, the more chaos we have in our lives. The more we we lack faith to trust God, that he will do what he says he will do. The more we don't believe that God works and acts on his appointed time. We want to bend God towards our will. Trust him. Turn away from the mess. And go to him. If you don't have a New Year's resolution, I just gave you one. (laughs) Rest on him. 2023, let that be what you do. That's your posture. I want to rest on him. Haven't you tried life your own way? Hasn't worked. Rest on him. Verses 2 and 3 really reassure us when we ask the question, what kind of God is this? He's a God we can trust. Verses 4 and 5 give us a warning. God says to the boastful and the wicked, do not be boastful. Do not sit here and look at your own life and think everything is working because you're some genius. Because you've managed to engineer your life in a way that's working perfectly for you. Do not be boastful. God is on his throne. He's the one who's ruling everything. He's the one who is in charge. 
He says to the wicked, do not be wicked. Do not lift up your horn. This is imagery given to us by the psalmist of a bull that does not want to be restrained. It has its horns up. Every time it tries to be yoked, the bull raises its horn and says, no, I won't be yoked, demonstrating its power, its authority, and showing off. God says, don't do that. He's the king. He's in charge, not you. In fact, when I think of this wickedness, it makes me think of my three-year-old daughter. <laughs> and she's the best. She's learning how to ask for forgiveness. Right? I don't know if it's just my child. Every parent thinks their child is amazing. Anyway, but she's learning how to ask for forgiveness. So she would do something wrong. Uh, we would reprimand her. And she goes into her room, contemplates what she's done wrong. Amazing. Uh, comes out with a posture of humility. Uh, stands before I and her mother and then says, hey, I'm sorry for ABC. Uh, please forgive me. Right? Angel. Amazing. Um, and as soon as we say we forgive you, guess what this little angel does? Turns around <laughs> and says, well, in that case, you also need to ask for forgiveness. <laughs> I'm like, my girl, you are wicked. You are evil. <laughs> I need to apologize for parenting you. I need to apologize for making sure that you don't kill yourself. That's not going to happen. But here's the thing, church. God doesn't think our wickedness is this cute. God does not look at our wickedness and think, well, that's very cute. He sees it for what it is. A challenge against his authority. And guess what this God then says to the Israelites? who are looking at the wicked and seeing the wicked prosper, yet their lives are stagnant. God says to them, don't worry about the wicked. I see them. God says to us this morning, don't worry yourselves about the wicked. Trust me, I see them. And if you're sitting here this morning, and again, you've built your own little kingdom, taken a stance that you want to be the God of your own life, here's the warning. God sees you. Which leads us to our second question for this morning. What kind of judgment is this? We've seen what kind of God this is. Now let's see what kind of judgment this is. Verses 6 till 8, read with me Psalm 75. For not from the east or from the west, not from the wilderness comes lifting up, but it is God who executes judgment, putting down and lifting up another. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup with foaming wine, well mixed. And he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to its dregs. So what these verses are telling us is that the the judgment that God administers is twofold. God lifts up those who are weak, discouraged, lowly, feeling like they cannot do this thing anymore. But at the same time, he puts down those who are supposedly strong, the proud, the boastful, the wicked, the arrogant. It's helpful to remember where Israel was at this point. Again, they're hard-pressed. They're feeling as though God has forgotten them. They're feeling abandoned. They're feeling hopeless. They're in despair. But like I said earlier on, if we leave here remembering anything, remember what verses 6 says. Not in the east, not in the west, 
not in the wilderness, will you find lifting up. Only in God and God alone. Nowhere else in the universe. And so the east and the west in our situation might not be bad things. It might be good things. And so when life has hit us and we're struggling to trust the Lord, when it feels like we don't want to be Christian anymore, everyone else around us is is really prospering, we don't have the zeal or the, 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 the will to hold on anymore. Some of us will bury ourselves in work to avoid the inevitable. Your relationship with God is struggling. But some of us bury ourselves in work because we believe if God cannot provide the life that I wanted, I'm going to work as hard as I can so I can provide it for myself. After all, this God cannot be trusted. God says not even there will you find what you're looking for. You're putting a burden on a gift and that gift cannot carry that burden. Only God can. Come back to God. Some of us go to relationships. Whether it's our marriage, our friends, our family, again, avoiding the inevitable, your relationship with God is struggling. And then inevitably what happens is that you put the burden on people. They cannot carry the burden that God can carry. And after a while, people start asking you, it feels like you're using us. It feels like you're never here for us. Because you're looking for something that you can find only in God. Not in the east, not in the west, not in the wilderness. Go back to God. Now what is the wilderness? It's a place that's dry, a place of decay, a place that's lifeless. The Israelites would have known what that is. What's that for us? It's going back to the place that God saved us from. Amen. It's easy when it's hard for us to face God and to trust God. It's easy then to go back to what's familiar. The thing that God saved you from. God says don't go back to the wilderness. Don't go back to that porn addiction. Don't go back to the gambling addiction. Don't go back to the guy that God saved you from. Where now you you have a short temper and you're angry in the house and nobody wants to be around you. Go back to God. Only in Him will you find the hope that you're looking for. Only in Him will you find lifting up encouragement. Only in Him will you find true revival. Go back home, Christian. Don't go to the wilderness, nor the east, or the west. In fact, verses 7 emphasizes this again for us, and it transitions us well to see what the other side of God's judgment looks like. And that's in verses 8. Verses 8 gives us this powerful vision of God's judgment. Often in the Bible, judgment is portrayed uh, with a cup. What does that mean for us in the song? Well, what God is saying to the Israelites and what he's saying to us this morning is that he will give the wicked or the boastful or those who have set themselves up against him a taste of their own medicine. All the ugliness that they've put out in the world. All the corruption, all the slander, all the oppression, all the arrogance, all the boastfulness. God will gather all of that, put it in a cup, and give them to drink. 
And the end of verses 8 gives us a chilling verse, uh, a feeling there, where it says that not even a single drop of this concoction will be left. They will drink everything to the bottom. That's a powerful vision of God's judgment. The psalmist also uses this imagery of wine that is foaming and describes the effects of what this judgment would look like when you drink of it. It will leave you reeling. It will leave you vomiting. It will leave you flat on the ground, hopeless. So what is the psalm saying to us if we've held our fists in God's face? Drop your weapons. Today would be a great day for you to trust God. Because here's the thing, when we actually really think about it, your issue is not with God's timing. Your issue is with God himself and his throne. You think if you would get on the throne, you would fix this timing issue. In your own life, in other people's lives. So you want to get rid of God. Let him get off the throne. Let you get on so that you can do a better job. But guess what Psalm 75 is screaming in our face? This king is not moving. This king is not changing his mind. He will work how he works. He has appointed times and he will not change his mind about those times. So what option do you have? You need to change your mind. You need to move closer to him. Because again, this king is not moving. It leads us to our last question for this morning. What kind of king is this? We've seen what kind of God this is. We've seen what kind of judgment he administers. What kind of king is this? Verses 9 and 10 of Psalm 75. And it reads as follows. But I will declare it forever. I will sing praises to the God of Jacob. All the horns of the wicked I will cut off, but the horns of the righteous shall be lifted. So as we get to the end of the psalm, I think it's worthwhile to analyze the structure of the psalm. Verses 2, we see, verses 2 till 5, we see God speaking there. Verses 6 till 8, the psalmist who wrote the psalm is the one who's speaking. But in verses 9 and 10, we are introduced to this new character. We're introduced to a figure, and we can only deduce uh, who this figure is from the attributes that are presented to us in verses eight, uh, verses 9 and 10. rather. We know that from verses 9, this figure is eternal. This figure says that they will declare praises uh, forever uh, to God. But also in verses 10, we are told that this figure has the same power that God has to cut off the horns of the wicked, but to also lift up. Only God has that power, no one else. But this figure is introduced as somebody who possesses the same attributes as God. And so this screams to us or echoes Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is one of my favorite psalms. In Psalm 2, we actually are told of God who looks at the wickedness of the world and people who have set themselves up against God And what God says in Psalm 2 is that he's set up, he's anointed one. He's given him a scepter and he's going to judge and disperse all the wicked that try and challenge God. Later on in the book of Acts, the apostles reference Psalm 2 and they connect that to Jesus. 
And so as we read of this figure in verses 9 and 10, we can only conclude a figure who is powerful, divine, kingly, and has authority. That can only be God's king, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is the one who's appointed by God to come execute his judgment. And church, where do we see Jesus executing this judgment? Well, we see it at the cross. At the cross, Jesus drinks of the wrath of God. This cup that we have all contributed to, the ugliness that we've put out into the world with our own sin, with our own rebellion, all the oppression that we've caused and and administered uh, among each other, everything else that is vile and dirty that we've put out in the world, God takes all of that and gives Jesus that cup to drink on your behalf, on my behalf. And Jesus drinks all of it. And he says that it is finished. At the cross of Christ, those of us who are weak, broken, don't have any encouragement, don't have any belonging, any family, Jesus lifts us up at his cross, gives us a new identity, gives us belonging, a purpose, revives us. It's at the cross of Christ that we get his righteousness. Jesus who never sinned, Jesus who lived a life that is perfect, Jesus who obeyed God till the point of death. He gives us all of that, makes us righteous. It's at the cross of Christ where we also see God declaring a very, very stern warning. If you won't surrender your life to this king, who's hung on the cross, who's drank the cup on your behalf, who's taken it all, All the nonsense, all the rubbish, all your fallenness, all the mistakes. You don't surrender your life to him. One day you'll have to hang for your own sins. And again, God's judgment, a picture is just so, so, so heavy on us. It will leave you reeling, vomiting. It will leave you face, face flat, hopeless. Today would be a good day that you would lower your weapons and trust him. Trust that he will work in his time for your sake and that his time is the perfect time, his time is the good time. So as we close, church, what have we found in the psalm and things for us to take away? Well, one, be encouraged that the God that you serve is not a silent God. That God is not distant. That God steps into your situation. That God knows what it is that you're going through right now. It might seem like he's distant. It might seem like he's not working, but he is. Again, he reassures us that he has everything under control. Rest on him. Trust him. He's our firm foundation. God will lift you up. At his appointed time. He will lift you up, not the east, not the west, not in the wilderness will you find this kind of lifting up. Go back to God. And we're very grateful that God raised the king who takes the cup on our behalf. So as we leave, how should we respond? Well, let's read verses 1 together. The psalmist says, we give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. 
I think that's how we should be leaving here. We're rejoicing in our hearts, giving thanks to God for being God. If you don't have anything else to pray about this evening or, or this afternoon, here's a prayer. God, thank you that you're God and I'm not. Thank you that you, you know how to run all of this. Thank you, God, that you came near us. How do, how do we know that he came near us where he did that through the person and work of Jesus Christ? Our God has a name and his name is Jesus. And you can call on that name at any point in your life. We need to be giving thanks to God for that. We need to be giving thanks to God for his faithfulness. That he works on his time. And that time is a perfect time and a good time for us. So again, Bazalon, Christians, brethren, lift up your eyes. Move your eyes away from the chaos. Turn your eyes upon God who can give you true help. If you're warring with God, lower your fists, drop your weapons this, this morning, and trust him. Give your life to him and serve him. Because again, this king is not moving. This king is not changing his mind about how he works. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for who you are to us. A king who, who took on the cup that we so rightfully deserved. Lord, we remember just before you were crucified, you prayed that if this cup could be taken away from you, but not your will, but God's will. And you drank all of that on our behalf. So I pray, Father, that you would strengthen those who need to be strengthened. That those who are raising their horns, Lord, that you would lower those. Call them to trust and believe in you as well. Help us to rest in you. Where our true hope, life, meaning, purpose, and comfort are found. In your precious and holy name we do pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.